Welcome to Butterflies and Incantations, a podcast about all things weird and magical. I'm your host, Vanessa. Today we have Ashling. Ashling Fay is a trans woman, scientist, writer, and practicing magician. She writes stories about the everyday lives of trans people in a world just slightly more magical than our own, and she writes in English and in Spanish. Welcome, Ashling. Hi, hi, very excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you. So tell us about yourself. Well, um, so this is my me officially making the jump from podcast listener to podcast guest. And I am very excited to be here today to talk a bit about what has been my history and my process the last few years. Um, doing things like writing fiction and going on book tours. I still haven't published my own book to go on my own book tour, but I've been a guest reader on a number of book tours in the US and Europe. And it's been very exciting. Um, and yeah, I write these I write these stories where the main characters are always trans women. And if I'm being honest, the main character is always kind of a version of myself because I'm a bit of a narcissist that way. But you know, write what you know. Uh, so we need more tra- positive trans stories. I hate how so much of it is just really negative and. Uh, mm-hmm. Or it's written like by cis people for yeah, the so cis gays. So much of it mm-hmm. is, and I think that's a big part of why it gets to be so negative and. They just see it as see us as essentially tragedy porn. Yeah, no, a lot of it is. And I think that has been changing a lot in the last few years. I think trans people are finally kind of getting around to writing their own stories. And like I mean, we've always been writing, we've just haven't had as good a luck getting things published or having our own publishing houses to do that with. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Um, I think I could talk about a bit is the now, well, let me put it this way. In 2015, which is when I wrote and published my first story, uh, which is called Satan, Are You There? It's Me, Laura. And that story... (laughs) That's a great title. (laughs) I Yes, I am very proud of that title. And that story was actually has actually been published in a book, an anthology of trans writers writing speculative fiction. It's called the book's called Meanwhile Elsewhere. It's published by Topside Press. And it was a sort of swan song for Topside Press. I believe they're not really working anymore. But for a while they were doing this very exciting thing which they were a very small press based out of new york based out of brooklyn and they were just publishing exclusively trans authors and um they published imogen binney's book nevada and casey plett's book uh, safe girl to love as well as a bunch of other books and it was really interesting how they kind of made the land more fertile where now they're not around anymore but we're seeing a lot more trans people kind of 
have their own projects and both in more traditional publishing and DIY publishing now that self-publishing is such a big thing and and such a good thing too because now yeah, we're for hearing sure. from more voices people who would have been just ignored in the past yeah and that was kind of the thing where like you know if you're if you're a small press you don't get to have every perspective you are going to be publishing people that you know like for me i really kind of have to give credit and thanks to a lot like being in new york and getting to know a lot of the people involved and kind of building these connections which i did completely by accident i just kind of fell in with the a, the group of like translate in that era in 2015 and it really kind of changed my life. Um, I think a lot of the things that I've done in the years since, even if they've not been directly related, I I've been chasing chasing sort of that that high of of like you know writing my stories and having people read them and see so, a bit of themselves in them and tell me how much they like them. I really enjoy performing them for a crowd in person and as a matter of fact the first time i i read a couple paragraphs of the satan story was in in an event right after the 2015 philly trans health conference there was an open mic for trans artists and so my friends were really encouraging me, you should read, you should read. And I was like, okay, but what am I going to read? I guess I only have five minutes. I have a poem that I could read, but my poetry is really bad, to be honest. To be completely <laughs> honest with you, my poetry sucks. Uh, but I had this story that I'd started writing, and I was still very rough draft. And I was like, I'm just going to take, I'm just going to try to get a five-minute chunk of it. And people found it really funny and people were laughing and like I definitely went over time and they really didn't want to jank me off stage but eventually I was like okay let's let's go <laughs> and just that was really special to me and you know we I started going to I started me having a group like a feedback group that we would meet uh my friend's apartment and i mean i should start mentioning names right like i don't like to be name droppy but in this case it's probably a positive form of name dropping because like cat fitzpatrick who was the editor one of the editors of meanwhile elsewhere and tom leger who was one of the people involved with topside praise they were the ones who really kind of encouraged me to keep writing and to who helped me refine my writing because um, first drafts are first drafts. Like there's nothing else to be said about that. <laughs> and after that, after like summer 2015, then I was like, we were going to my friend's apartment and we were every time two people would get to read a story. And actually, the way we did it, everyone else but the author 
read parts of the story so that the author could hear it from other people's voices and get fit feedback and drink a lot of gin and it was really kind of exciting i don't know i really felt like this is embarrassing to yeah it's embarrassing to say but i kind of felt like like a like a beat a little bit like a beat poet from the <laughs> whatever right like because i was like i'm in new york and with all these cool people and we're just excited about writing and um unfortunately that did not last um due to immigration reasons because at the time i wasn't a, a citizen or a permanent resident so i had to leave the country and that's when i moved to germany and i did come back for 2016 and then i left at the end of 2016 and by then people were kind of like no it's probably a good idea for you to leave because you know what happened yeah uh, in november that year but um i remember i was scared yeah no and i mean like I don't know. It was such a weird time. It was, it's, it's still a weird time, right? In a sense, 2016 hasn't really ended. But I've come to realize that, well, first of all, like, Germany, Germany kind of sucks to be a trans person. <laughs> and I think it's gotten better, but I'm kind of, I'm back in the States now. Um, and I'm married, and my partner and I are... You know, we're living, I moved in with Fair, I'm living in Indiana now, not quite as exciting as New York, but still, like, I'm in Bloomington, Indiana, and it's it's a college town, and there's, like, really good, there's a, there's a good smaller art scene and a good DIY scene, and there's, you know, a bunch of anarchist townies who are always trying to get... Um, the students to engage more with the town and not just be, uh, you know, a passing force for, like, gentrifiers to cater to. Um, so I'm kind of excited to be here. I've been here almost a year, but in between 2016, leaving the States again, and 2019, moving back, I was living in Berlin. And Berlin is a very interesting city. It's, I remember when I first moved there, I was really, I thought, because it has a reputation for being very queer. So I thought, cool, it's going to be like New York. There's going to be cool things with trans people that I can go to. And I remember being really disappointed that I would go to a lot of events and I would find like a lot of cis queer people and some trans queer people doing things, but very, very few trans women and and just a shit ton of turfs. I don't know why there's so many turfs in Berlin. Um, the house I was no, it's not. I was living in this house that was like um, a house project, so like a big communal housing sitch. Um, and it was like FLTI, so uh, Frauen, Lesben, Trans, and Intersex. So like women, trans, lesbians, and intersex people. 
But when they say trans, they don't mean trans women. They do let trans women in, but there's there was definitely a sort of a contingent of people who were very much not about that and who made it very difficult to be there as a trans woman. I wasn't the only... No, it is. It's it's really terrible. And like, I lived there for like a year and I wasn't the only trans woman, but so we kind of had to like, had some good solidarity towards one another to kind of survive. But um, it's unfortunately a little representative of where the city is like, in in those years you were still having like lesbian parties where they were like doing panty checks and stuff right like that's real right real mischievous stuff it's just i don't know it's really sad because like germany used to be back before world war ii it was the place where all this started and then mm -hmm. the fascists got control and they ruined everything and sure. It sounds like it still hasn't even recovered, even this many years after the war. That's really sad. Well, I think the thing that people don't realize is that they're like, yeah, the Nazis won, the Nazis lost, and and we're a democracy now, and we're not, we're not racist or anti-Semitic or homophobic anymore. But like, first of all, that's not true. But second of all, you know. 10 million marginalized people were killed during the Holocaust and many millions more fled. It's not like those people just came back after the war ended. So like the Germany that exists now is a Germany that's been developing from a vase. That's like the Aryan dream of like white German people. And they tie themselves in knots kind of, dealing with the guilt they felt over the Holocaust. And then recently, um, this knot tying has come for a circle with, uh, now you have the IFD, this like basically a modern Nazi party with that has like high, it's like 10% of the seats in parliament now. And it's like, what the fuck? Right. And so like, so it's kind of all over the world. Um, you know, England has them, and Italy, Greece, most developing countries, most developed first world countries, and even like developing countries. Like, so I'm originally from the Dominican Republic, uh, which is very much, you know, it's an island in the Caribbean. It's very much not a white country, mm-hmm. but it's neighboring Haiti, and you really see. A sort of dark mirror of the the way that the U.S. treats Mexico and Mexican immigrants. Dominicans are kind of doing the same thing to Haitian immigrants, and it's really, really disheartening to see. Um, you kind of can't escape it, the global rise of fascism. But you know, we're still here. We're still fighting. Don't want to get. Don't want to let it get too doom and gloom. Um, We've been here for over 4,000 years, and we're not going anywhere. (laughs) We're not going anywhere. Um, But there are things that I like about Berlin. And now that I've left, there are things that I do miss. And I didn't... um, 
I didn't stop kind of trying to find this this kind of community that I had. Uh, I remember I tried to organize similar things like trans writers workshops and it was but it was just kind of like it really the feeling I got was oh so Berlin is maybe like New York was 10 years ago and obviously I wasn't in New York 10 years ago I was a teenager in the Dominican Republic but um, things like I was trying to get trans people to come together and write and talk about their writing and it was very difficult I was running into people who really were like oh I just don't think anyone would be interested right and it's this kind of thing that people were already kind of over in New York where like there was a big momentum for like yeah, people want to read our stories. Like, I'm not writing for cis people. I'm writing for other trans people. And other trans people want to read me. And that was still... That feeling wasn't there in Berlin when I arrived. And it was a little difficult. And, of course, there was the language barrier where um, I had friends who were, like, they all spoke English to different degrees but maybe they didn't write in English so if I had friends who were writing in German and friends who were writing in Turkish or Arabic or any other language it wasn't as easy for us to all get together and critique our work because I can't read Arabic and I can kind of read German three years in Germany they didn't quite manage to make me fluent um, but I found I found ways to kind of enliven my creative output, and that's when I started turning my short stories into scenes. And I think Berlin does have a vibrant scene community because, like every not every neighborhood in Berlin, but a lot of neighborhoods have their own like little info shops, and they'll have their little like scene libraries. And things like that. And the anarchists in Berlin are a real political force, sometimes for the worst, because they're overwhelmingly white and German, and they can claim to not be racist, but they are not off, not always willing to examine their like biases. So they'll be like, I can't be racist because I'm an anti-racist, but I don't notice that all my friends are white and that I prefer to hang out with white people and that I'm giving out more opportunities to white Germans and stuff like that. Um, I, think, I think most of us in the developed world could stand to examine our own cultural biases. Cause there's a lot of inherent racism that unless you've sat down and really, really sat with that and, and turned all of the pieces over and looked at them, like it's really easy to miss how like culturally racist just western society in general is mm -hmm. and i think that again it's a matter of like of time where like um you see people like progressive people in the states are starting to do that work that sort of anti-colonial work but tw like 20 years ago it, w it wasn't like this like 
you of course had like people of color like fighting for people to kind of change their thinkings but like people were as receptive of it and people were it's just this idea like oh no i'm like like we all know now that like you can't say oh, i'm colorblind i don't see race like that is not being anti-racist that is actually being racist because right. if you're not aware of it like how are you going to fix all the things that are still obviously wrong about the way we treat people yeah it's turning um, a blind eye exactly and like we know that now i feel like 10 years ago 20 years ago it wasn't it wasn't as prevalent still people thought that they could be that way and that's kind of how i felt germany was when i first moved there i really think i mean and i can only speak about berlin i I saw degrees of pros progress whilst I was living there. And now that I left, I still get glimpses that people, there are a lot of people doing the work, of course, like um, it's still people of color who are like doing the brunt of the work. But like, I think, like I have reason to hope, but I also know that like, I'm probably, now that I'm not there, it's easier for me to not, not notice all the things that are still bad and only hear about the things that are getting better. So I want to be careful about that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was like, it was an interesting experience. I don't regret having the experience. I don't regret the fact that I've lived in um, three different countries now in my life. I think it's informed a lot of what I write and a lot of how I organize and how I act around people. Um, Makes sense that yeah. that would have an impact. For sure. And then whilst in Germany, this I finished a second story that is also a scene now that um, I haven't I actually technically started writing it in the U.S., but, like, I finished it and I published it when I was in Germany as a scene, and this story is called Would You Fuck Me? I'd Fuck Me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about um, a trans girl who's, like, a scientist. She's exploring the concept of parallel universes, and she's... Um, stolen a piece of technology from her universe. Well, not stolen. She borrowed it. That lets her travel between parallel universes. And she's looking for other versions of herself so that she can have sex with them. <laughs> Hence the title. <laughs> and, and in publishing that as a scene and publishing also the Satan story as a scene, I've stumbled upon, upon this like really good technique that's available to me as a bilingual person, which is um, my mother tongue is in Spanish, but I don't write in Spanish, I write in English. However, I've noticed that if I have a draft of a story in English and I translate it to Spanish, that 
provides me with the kind of the close, the hyper close reading that you need to do to edit a story. It's kind of a shortcut to doing that. So as I'm translating to Spanish, I'm editing it. And once I'm like incorporating those changes to English, that's another round of editing. And it's no substitute for professional editing, but it at least lets me go from first draft to like third draft um, a lot easier than if I were just trying to make changes to the English text. And so all of my scenes that I put out, I always put them out with the English original on, on the first half of the scene and then the story in Spanish in the second half. Which is and really I great honestly, because it mm -hmm. also makes it more accessible yeah. to people who you know, maybe aren't so good at speaking English. And that was the that was the point. I was like, because I knew that like I was seeing this exciting change, and I was seeing all these people publishing stories, trans people publishing stories and novels and everything in English. And I was having a lot of friends who mostly speak Spanish complaining, "Oh, and how come there isn't anything in Spanish?" And the answer is there will be. You just need to start writing it. Um, but I'm like, hey, I can kind of contribute to that because I speak Spanish and I can, I don't like writing in Spanish, but I can definitely translate my stuff and kind of provide the most accurate translation that maybe can be written because I know exactly what I meant. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Most of the time I know exactly what I meant. <laughs> and, um, and you can also make sure that they nothing gets lost in translation because you know if a cis person were to translate it they might accidentally put in some of that bias exactly yeah for sure and you know it's i think the most challenging part about translating to spanish is that i don't quite know which spanish to translate to it winds up as a kind of mix mixture, sort of international Spanish that takes a little bit of Dominican Spanish and a little bit of Spain Spanish and a little bit of like Mexican Spanish to try to come up with a translation because I found that, you know, in English, you we have dialects of English, but they're not quite as unintelligible between each other as Spanish, I don't think. I might be wrong about this, but like, um, I mean, like, there's a couple of examples, like, you know, the way British people use the word pants as opposed to the way Americans use the word pants. So, like, little things like that, it's like times a hundred with Spanish. And you have to be careful because, like, a sentence that's perfectly natural in Dominican Spanish can be, like, actually sexually suggestive in Argentinian Spanish, for instance. Um... So that's been part of the challenge. Um, I haven't got to see like, the thing that I don't know. I don't actually know if any of the people who buy my scenes are reading them in both languages or they're mostly reading it in one. Um, but like, I mean, I, I, I'm still going to put them out there like that. I think it's good, but it would be nice to get some feedback from people who have who have experienced both and what they think. Um. 
So how has that changed since moving to uh, to uh, Indiana? How is the scene different from how it was in Germany and in New York? Um, well, for one thing, I remember going to a scene fest in Berlin and part of, uh, an interesting thing about that, which I was talking to the organizers of the scene fest in Bloomington was that in Berlin, you have, you know, you have the queer scene fest and you have the anarchist scene fest and you might have, I don't, those are the two that come off the top of my head. You have, you might have other scene fests or other DIY events. Uh, whereas here in Bloomington, they all just kind of have to combine together into one event. Uh, and so like here, we just have the Bloomington scene fest and queer people come and punk people come and anarchists come. And of course those groups tend to have significant overlap. Um, so that's one difference, but and the other difference is that I had a much better time at the Bloomington Scene Fest than I did at the Berlin Queer Scene Fest because the Berlin Queer Scene Fest was incredibly crowded and I didn't quite, I didn't know most people there and I had like, I just had a terrible time and I barely sold any scenes. Whereas at the Bloomington Scene Fest, I sold a bunch of scenes. I um, talked to a bunch of people. I was also like on my table. I was giving people tarot readings for like <laughs> in exchange for like donations, like pay what you want for a tarot reading. And all that was great. And I think that's the advantages of like there's pros and cons living in a smaller town that still has a queer presence. Because that's the nice thing is that Bloomington being a university town, you know, you still have a bunch of queer people. You have a bunch of people who are like they're it's their first time living away from home and they're ready to explore what it means to be them like i didn't come out as i didn't know that i was queer until i was like halfway through my college career and it's kind of exciting to get to be a part of that for people like i get annoyed at townie at at students i get annoyed when it's moving day and it's a pain in the ass to get anywhere. Um, but it's also, it's also really nice. And you know, I'm, I'm new, I'm a transplant, so I also can't judge very harsh, but I'm, so far I'm enjoying it a lot and I'm hoping to, to get to participate in more cultural activities. Also, also the library in Bloomington is just amazing. And they have a scene library where you can like, there's a bunch of scenes and you can take them home. They, it works just like a book. And, and I have my scenes in the scene library and that's very exciting. Oh, that's really cool. And, mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, I would say that's, those are kind of the main differences between um, Berlin and Bloomington and then New York. I never went to a scene fest in New York. I'm sure they happen. Um, like, I kind of really, I liked the anarchist community in New York a lot better too. Um, but it's also, it is also a lot smaller. It's really interesting. Even though New York is a bigger city than Berlin, um, like in Berlin you have 
a bunch of anarchist projects and you have squads and you have houses that are not quite squads um, that used to be squads maybe and now are like long, low rent uh, housing projects whereas in New York I mean I am aware of squads in New York I'm not I can't say anything because I don't want to blow up the spot because in like in Berlin there was a squad that got evicted and they like managed to get a judge to overturn that eviction and then were able to move back in. In New York, that would not fly. In New York, if they find out that you're squatting, you're just out. And like, um, but there is a cool anarchist project center in, in Brooklyn called The Base. And I remember going to a couple of events there and they also have scenes and stuff. So like, and it was it was modern. It was easier to get like to know people, and also like it was nowhere near as white because New York is nowhere near as white as Berlin. That's the thing. It's and like I mean like London's nowhere near as white as Berlin. Like all of these like major cities around the world, um, you know, like are more diverse than Berlin still and that's kind of a it's kind of a bummer and like like I said it's understandable because um it's a remnant of like the Holocaust and also the the Cold War era but like it really needs to hurry up and get better because um it's just the most annoying thing is that it has this reputation of being a really queer city and then you get there and if you're not a very specific type of queer that of course has to be white and has to be kind of has to match a certain image of what a queer person is that they believe in in Berlin if you don't match that you're not gonna have as warm of a welcome as you might expect if you all you hear about is how great Berlin is and how queer it is. Yeah, that's um, really sad. So you talked about uh, being a practicing magician. How has that intersected with all of this? Can you tell me a little bit about that side of things? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, well, I mean, the first thing is that the, the story Satan, Are You There? It's Me, Laura, is about a trans woman who's trying to summon Satan and she's not in the story, she's not exactly a practicing magician. She's just like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm witchy and stuff. And I'm just going to do this on a whim. Um, and the kind of the crux of the story, spoilers, is that she tries to summon Satan and she gets God instead, pretending to be Satan. Um, <laughs> I have to read this story now. <laughs> You should. It's very. It's like. I mean, being as humble as I can be, I think it's very good. Um, and Satan's, of course, a trans woman. We all know that. Uh, at least <laughs> Lucy is. See, when I wrote it, like I didn't care about any sort of distinction between Satan and Lucifer and the devil. I just kind of treated them as the same entity. Um, my feelings have evolved a little bit, which is part of like. I guess it's a way in that 
like my writing intersects with my practices. When I wrote that story, I just, I felt a certain kind of connection to this entity of Lucy, of this kind of like maligned, but not malevolent being, because nowadays we tend to think of like Lucifer as being evil, like classically that has not been the case. And in practice, like, you know, she's not, a, she's, she's a bit of a trickster. Like, the, so the thing that's really different is that now I have actually worked with Lucy on certain things and I understand her a little better. And I painted her probably in a, in a much more favorable light than is accurate, but also like compared to the, the sort of modern popular consensus, I think. I think it's a bit more accurate, but of course, these kind of things you can't really talking about accuracy in terms of spirit contact is it's a bit like going in the wrong direction, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Like the way she presents to me is not exactly how she's going to present to anyone else. Though, a thing that I found really cool about writing this story is that a lot of people, upon reading it, they were like. You know, it's not like I ever thought that Lucy was a trans woman, but now that you mention it, that kind of makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and I was and like, yeah, and that was really exciting to me. And even though I wasn't I was like I was interested in magic. I've been interested in, in magic since I was a teenager, but I only really started like getting serious about practicing in the last um four years or so so at the time i wrote that story i still wasn't really doing very much magic of my own but it was a it was a little bit of a yeah you know what i think i think i tapped into something real to write this and that's also why i write that my stories take place in a world with slightly more magical than our own because it's it's just kind of like that it's just like the world we live in you can conjure spirits and have uh, spirit contact that feels very real and tangible. Um, in the story, of course, you know, God literally shows up in her bedroom and like tears down her walls and shit because he's drawing a tantrum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's really nice. Um, and like, I think, so, it was right before I left New York the first time I met with my friend Octavia, who was a practicing witch, and she taught me a little bit here and there about sigils, and we did some some spells to bless my journey. Um, it wasn't until I was living in Berlin, and I kind of, in a weird, synchronistic way, stumbled upon like a number of different podcasts and that's actually now that i think about it you play kind of a prominent role <laughs> because because i started listening to where did the road go which is a podcast that's not explicitly about magic it's about like weird stuff 
And through Where Did the Road Go, I found this other podcast called Charm of the Water that you were on. And I listened to that episode. And I, like, I thought that was really cool and interesting. And I was like, holy shit, like trans women doing like Sumerian reconstructionist magic. It's like <laughs> tight as fuck. And I didn't listen to very many other episodes of that podcast, but I started listening to Room Soup and I befriended Ren on the internet. And that's how I wound up on the Discord server that you and I officially met on. Um, so it's been a really interesting journey. And like, I don't know, I'm really, really, really happy that I found this community of like magicians and I mean like not everyone uses that term for themselves right but practitioners witches clerics um and that there's there are spaces where we can all be in conversation together and like of course spaces like that like are also going to have a bunch of like queer weirdos neurodivergent people because We've always been in there, right? Um, <laughs> All the way back as far as ancient Sumer. Exactly. And I'm still trying to figure out, like, I don't think I'm ever going to have a path that's, like, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to say, like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Sumerian Reconstructionist or I'm a Taoist or I'm a, a Christian devotionalist. I don't think... Like, I don't think that's me. Like, I'm the kind of person whose favorite Final Fantasy class has always been the Red Mage, who does both light magic and dark magic and uses swords, because swords are cool and I'm a lesbian. <laughs> um, and so, like, to me, chaos magic, which is a thing I found in my teenage years and dabbled in and then abandoned because it was too doodly, uh, and I found it again now that it's kind of in an upswing and like there's a lot more people involved and it's gotten a bit more, uh, just a bit more serious than I think it was in the 90s, early 2000s. Um, to me, I feel very comfortable being in that space where I'm, I can like try different things and see what works best for me. Uh, and I'm still kind of figuring out what like my personal pantheon is going to look like. Uh, obviously, it seems like Lucy and I are going to be dealing with each other for a long time still. Um, but we'll see who else gets to join us in that path. It's a very exciting. It's a very exciting time to be a magician right now. It certainly is. So much stuff is on the move so many things are developing and so many paths are really finding their footing mm -hmm. and you know i was thinking about this because um i remember so i have a friend who is weird w-y-r-d weird but she's also like she's a christian devotionalist and she's like i'm not allowed to do magic but, like, that is, like, depends on what you call magic. Because she does, like, she does exorcisms and she does intention work and stuff that I would call magic. 
But that Sumer like in her would have called it magic. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in her tradition, it's not necessarily magic, and in her tradition, is like she's allowed to do all those things, and she might not be allowed to like do Solomonic workings, for instance, right? Um, or sigils or anything like that. But um, I believe in like in this kind of like pushing and pulling and. I, I just believe in diversity, right? I believe that diversity breeds strength and it makes for a more just world. And of course, that doesn't mean I'm going to go tomorrow and claim that I am like a Shinto priest and I know everything about Shinto. But it means that I'm going to be in conversation with people who are Shinto priests who like have studied that and that's their path and they've had teachers and I think that's gonna make all of our paths become like keep moving forward because I think another thing about magic is that we sometimes think of religions as a thing that was established in the past and now it's, it's just like the way it is and it's just gonna continue being the way it is but it's very much a living thing. And like, I think living in a world where people in all levels of a spiritual path are talking to each other are going to have a positive impact on those paths. Like, I, I 100% believe that sometimes a spirit from like, a certain culture is going to reach out to a person from a completely different culture because they need someone from that culture for something. And if that person is willing to be like, you know, if that spirit shows the right person, like that person's not going to like, going to like make a mess out of, out of this practice. That person's going to like approach it with respect and, try to seek out a teacher but when that happens like i think both parties get much more enriched and like i don't know i'm just i'm just really excited i think i think the world's going to continue getting more and more interesting i'd like to hope so at the very least <laughs> yeah and, like, when people ask me, like, why do I do magic, you know, like, I mean, first of all, it's like, why do people, why do people have a religion? It's not a simple question to answer. But for me, a very, very big part of it is that it's just fucking cool. It's just fucking cool to say, like, oh, yeah, I'm a magician and I, like, I don't know, I draw weird squiggles and sometimes that gets me free stuff. Like, <laughs> uh, like it might not be fireballs, although I do have a spell to cast a fireball that's very effective. You just need some lamp oil or isopropyl alcohol, a torch, and your mouth, and you can cast a fireball. just have to spit it. <laughs> But right, but like, so magic is not quite how it is in RPGs, though I secretly believe that, like, 
if we continue the way we're going and it keeps becoming a more and more established thing that we might start seeing like amazing effects the likes of which like they used to write about right we can only hope yeah like i don't know like what do you think about that like i remember um like one of the first things that made me go from like oh magic is all it's make believe to like oh magic is a real thing that people study about was my friend telling me about like uh, some ancient magician Milarepa. I don't remember where he's from. And I don't know how he summoned like a giant centipede to like save a town from something. And like, and like, I don't know, back in the day, people like believed that there was a giant centipede. Like nowadays, it might be less tangible, but it's still there. I don't know. <laughs> so, do you have a website or a, like a place where people can find your books? Do you have anything? Uh, like- absolutely. So, um, you can find my website is transfairy.com and that's T-R-A-N-S-F-A-E-R-I-E. I spell fairy the difficult way because I like being difficult. <laughs> so if you go there, that's my blog, and there's nonfiction pieces, and there's a story in progress there called Daily Ritual, which is about um, two changelings and a demon just kind of living together. Not living, not literally living together, but like, Going on misadventures in Brooklyn. Uh, it's a story that I'm putting out chapter by chapter. And you can also find links to the place where you can get all my scenes in digital form. All my scenes I put online uh, as pay what you can. So like I suggest $5 for the longer ones. But you can... I always say if you're a trans person and you're like, I really want to read this, but... I don't know if I can afford to spend any amount of money. Don't worry about that. Just get it for free. You can get me back later. I just I care more about people getting to read my work than about me getting paid for it. I, of course, love getting money from it, but <laughs> it's very important to me that people read them. So that's transferry.com, and I'm on Twitter also at transferry. You can always stop in and say hi. Thanks for being on. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, It's been really great. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to Butterflies and Incantations. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow me on social media. This is Vanessa reminding you that magic is everywhere. You only have to